The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. want to get into the word and I want to find a few things. Now you know that we encourage note taking because God's speaking to us all right now but he's talking to you personally as well and sometimes the things that you're able to write down you can revisit in your own time and God will minister those things to you. So if you're taking notes I want to give you a few, a few things to look forward to as we get into the word this morning. If you want to write this down you're welcome to. One thing that we're going to find is what God is doing through the gospel. What God is doing through the gospel. There's something incredible that's going on in my life and in your life. And it's not something that happens once. It's something that is happening. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, this is happening in your life. And when we get a chance to see it, when we can understand it, it can make our lives make much more sense. What God is doing through the gospel. A second thing that we're going to find is what every person has been given. Every single person has been given something. We're going to find out what that is. You need to know what you've been given so that, one, you'll know you have it, and, two, you'll know that you need to do something with it. Now, a third thing that we're going to find, if you're taking notes, you're welcome to write this down, what Jesus has a monopoly on. What Jesus has a monopoly on. How many of you spent time with family over Thanksgiving? Just a handful of us? All right, well, you, you and that select few, did you get out any board games at all? How many of you have just banned Monopoly because there's some person in your family that just destroys everybody? And you know what I'm talking about. You know, you know the game. Isn't it terrible? It, like, brings out the worst in people, right? They should just call it greed, right? Greed and destruction is what they should call it. Greed and destruction, who knows. But anyway, Jesus has a monopoly on something, and I'm just saying that that way to, to, to get your attention. We need to put our attention toward this. There's something that Jesus has a monopoly on, and we need to understand what it is. Now, because he has a monopoly on it, it doesn't mean you can't have it. It just means he's the only place you can get it. So I want to get into the Word. I told you we're going to find out what God's doing through the gospel. Let's start with that. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to open them up to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Now, like most pa pastors, you'll hear me give a passage of Scripture and say, now, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Well, I got news for you. I really love the Word of God, and I, I know a lot of believers who really love the Word of God. But when I say this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture, I mean it. I mean, if we're, we're getting in the, the top, top ten here at least, maybe the top five, there's something really awesome that's going on here. And the backstory, how it comes to pass, is really, really incredible. You can read it in your, your own time. You'll see in Luke that this is more than just something that was written down. It comes through some really serious drama. It's kind of humorous even. Now, the guy that's about to be speaking when we read these words, the guy that's delivering these words inspired by the Holy Spirit is the father of John the Baptist. And he's a really popular guy. He's kind of a public figure. And this public figure has had his mouth shut for a season by the angel of the Lord. He hasn't been able to speak. And he's a public figure because he's a religious leader. So for, for us right here, let's just say he's a pastor. How many of you would like to see a pastor have his mouth shut? Huh? 
oh, come on. You can laugh. It's okay. I'm not making a list up here. But this guy, I mean, he, he led people, and he led people by hearing what God said and delivering the word of God to people, and all of a sudden, he couldn't talk. So imagine coming to a church service and having Pastor Mime. I mean, I'm sure attendance went down a little bit. It was like, you know, week one, that was kind of clever, but week two was just... Uh, <clears throat> but all of a sudden, <clears throat> this man who couldn't speak could all of a sudden speak. It was in an instant. And under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, as his mouth was open, he proclaimed these words. He prophesied these words. And these words should mean something to us. He's speaking about what God's doing through the coming of the Messiah. He's speaking about what God is doing in my life and in your life. He releases these words and everyone is in awe. All eyes are on him as his mouth is open and he speaks these words beginning in verse 68. He says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he's visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us as he's spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets which have been since the world began that we, who is we? Oh, it includes you, that we, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham, our father. And it goes on in verse 74 to say this, and this is the point that I want us to catch this morning. That he, that's God, that God would grant or give unto us that we would be delivered out of the hand of our enemies, and once so, we might serve Him without fear in holiness and in righteousness every day of our lives. Now, do you think he scripted that? I mean, here's a guy who had no intention of speaking a word that day because he couldn't. And all of a sudden, his mouth is open and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he reveals one of the most profound and powerful truths that the earth has ever heard before. That God is delivering you from the hand of your enemies. That He's making good on His promise that He's revealed through the prophets to protect you and keep you and set you free from all who would afflict you so that, so that in the end, you could serve Him without any fear. I want to read the last line of that prophecy there where we cut off anyway. That God would give us, that He would grant unto us that being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, we might serve Him without fear in holiness and in righteousness before Him all of our days. When I read that passage, it reveals things to me. It reveals that when fear is present in my life, it's a hindrance to holiness and a hindrance to righteousness. Because if God is leading me to the place where I can serve Him every single day in holiness and in righteousness, if He's leading me to that by getting fear out of my life, then that tells me fear is a problem. Fear is a hindrance to me walking in holiness. 
It opens the door for compromised thinking and compromised action. Fear is a hindrance to me walking in righteousness because of that same open door for compromise. But God's doing something in me and in you. He's delivering us. He's delivering us so that we can be free from fear and serve Him in holiness and in righteousness. And when we're free from fear and we're serving in holiness and in righteousness, we can lead others to do the same. Now, I love that and I celebrate that, but there comes a point where the tires screech to a halt. You hear the brakes lock up and my brain just kind of stops like it's hitting a brick wall because I realize something. I realize the process that's revealed here. Well, God's getting fear out of my life so that I can serve Him in holiness and in righteousness. The problem is that there's fear in my life. So how is He getting that fear out? Well, He's delivering you from your enemies and from the people that hate you. Well, my brain locks up again because now I have to be confronted with this reality that I have enemies and that there's people who hate me. But I'm realizing something as I see the gospel being laid out and the purpose of the gospel being laid out in front of me. That the situations and the circumstances that provoke fear in my life aren't random. I'm not the victim of these things. But these things have been allowed or even ordained in some instances in order to bring me to a place of perfection. In order for me to come into a greater awareness and a greater understanding that the one who said he wouldn't leave or forsake, that the one who purchased me with the blood of Jesus and promises to keep me and perfect me, that one will make good on his word. And he continues to prove that over and over and over again by delivering me from the hand of my enemies and from the hand of all of those who hate me. And he does the same for you. I believe that the gospel is about getting fear out of our lives. The removal of all anxiety and worry. I want to offer a couple of scriptures to help support this. If you're taking notes, you can write them down. Psalm 27.1. Now, we used to sing this as a song, and I, I've got a little bit of news for you. Today, when I'm dealing with things that produce anxiety in my life, I find myself singing that old song. It's just locked in there and stuck in my head as how to respond to worry. But as we read it here in Psalm 27, it reads like this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now, if we were to write that psalm today based on the gospel tracts that we hand out, it would probably read something like this. The Lord is my light and my salvation, therefore my sins are forgiven. But there's so much more going on in the gospel. Jesus is doing something on our behalf. He's taking our place to remove the wrath of God. All that we have to be afraid of is no more. The Word promises us that now we have peace with God because of the work of Jesus Christ. And that peace with God produces in us a life that is void and empty of anxiety and care. We're no longer subject to the slavery of fear. 
And God's faithful to continue that process of purging that fear out of our lives through every situation and every circumstance, proving once again, time and time again, that he's a keeper of his word. I want to offer another passage of scripture to you, Psalm 46, beginning in verse 1 and going to verse 3. God is our refuge and our strength. He's a very present help in trouble. Therefore, and I want you to say therefore. Yeah, I mean, it's because I want to kick your brain into a gear to catch something here. I mean, that was this really comforting and factual statement that God is a very present help in our time of trouble. But now we see why. Why this is a good thing. Why this is a benefit. Why we should be comforted by this. Why we should feel that we have refuge. And why we should feel that we have strength. Therefore, because He's present, we will not fear. And I love how this is written. I mean, it's written intensely. I'm a pretty intense guy. If you really want to be around someone intense, hang out with my wife a little while. I'm serious, man. I am mild compared to her. But it's written with such an intensity and so extreme. I mean, listen, I want to read it to you. God is our refuge and our strength. He's a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we won't fear. Even if the earth should change and the mountains crumble into the heart of the sea and the waters roar and foam and the mountains quake, we don't have to fear. I've lived in some crazy places. I mean, places where there were just bizarre weather phenomenon, you know. And and there was a season I lived in a place, and and it was funny because I lived there for five years, and for those five years they had bizarre weather issues, and everyone would tell us, well, it's never been like this before. And I thought, well, man, did I bring this? What's the problem here? But wind and rain... We even had non-weather-related fire. But there was one incident that took place where I felt really powerless. It was an earthquake. You know, I mean, I grew up in, in Amarillo, Texas. So it's on the edge of Tornado Alley, you know. So the weathermen come on, they put on their best tie, they cancel Seinfeld, and they start telling you, hey, guys, come watch me for an hour. I'm going to talk about this storm over and over and over and over and over again. And we're going to punch in with Bob. Bob, you still out there? Yeah, it's raining pretty hard out here. We're gonna, we'll check back in with Bob in a minute. And they make a spectacle out of it. So what do we do? We go outside and look for it. And if you can't see it, you get in your car and you try to find it. You know, because it's, it's right there and you can see it. And if it comes towards you, you can run from it. You feel like you have an element of control. It's almost entertaining. But I remember sitting in our living room. I was sitting with my wife. I was sitting in my chair. She's claimed it. It's still my chair. But she sits in it more than I do. But it's not about that. It's the principle. It's my chair. She didn't even want to buy it. She didn't like it when I bought it. She's like, you really want to buy that? It's so big. I said, yeah. It didn't take long. And she was sitting in it. It's like, I see what you like about this. Gosh. 
But I remember I was sitting in my chair and she was sitting on the couch and it was evening and, and it was just really peaceful. I don't even remember. We weren't, I might have been reading and she might have been knitting or crocheting or something. We were just sitting still. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the rumble and the shake. And I mean, I, I felt my stomach sink. And I thought, I, I've never felt so absolutely powerless. Where do you run to when the ground beneath your feet is shaking? Where can you go? All of you from California say, the doorway! You get in the doorway. Yeah. But here's what I love about what's being written here. I mean, even in the most helpless of situations where there's nowhere to run to, where there's nowhere to hide, where there's no cover that can be taken, we don't have to be afraid. That's what he's saying here. He's trying to use the most intense language he can possibly use to get everyone's attention to say, hey, some of you have seen wind and waves, no problem. Some of you have seen lightning and thunder, no problem. Some of you have felt the ground shake beneath your feet, no problem. And it's all because of what God has done. He's revealed through His perfect love that He'll keep us and protect us and cherish us. And we can be in the midst of situations that have us on our knees feeling absolutely helpless, but we can have strength and courage knowing that He hasn't changed. I want to get through a lot of Scripture really quickly. We're talking about what God's done in dealing with fear through the Gospel. But I'd like for you to turn to a passage of Scripture that we visit often and will continue to. Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. Now, I want to read through these things quickly. It says, On that day when evening had come, Jesus said, Let us go to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took. They took him along with the boat. And just as he was, he went, and other boats were with them. And there arose a fierce gale of wind and the waves that were breaking over the boat, so much so that the boat had already begun filling up. And Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And when they woke him, they said, Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? And Jesus got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and became perfectly calm. And this is the part that I really want us to catch. Then Jesus said to them. Now, when I read the scripture, I like to put myself in the scripture, right? I'm not saying that it is something that you ought to do. I'm just saying I do it. Maybe it's just quirky. But if I'm reading that in my own time, I read it and it kind of sounds like this in my head. And then Jesus said to Preston, why are you afraid? I mean, how is it that you have no faith? And then I've been in the situation of the disciples where, where you can hear that situation and it doesn't make things better, it makes things worse. 
Because look at what happens after Jesus says this. It doesn't say that Jesus said, why are you afraid? How is it that you have no faith? And they immediately were comforted by the gentle words of Jesus. Look at what it says. It says, it says and then they became very much afraid. Like we were scared before, man, when the boat was sinking, but now we're really terrified. Who is this then that even the wind and the sea obey him? But Jesus says something there that I want us to catch. I think it's important that we catch it. I mean, first of all, he's indicating that all of this, this chaos, all of these actions that are not fitting of a believer who is trusting in God, all of these things that are, are identifying that God has forgotten them and that they're perishing and God has no care or consideration for their current circumstances, all of this nonsense Jesus is equating to fear. He's saying, hey, why are you afraid? Meaning it's fear that's bringing you to this place of panic. It's fear that's bringing you to this, this place of, of compromised thinking. It's unstable to be trusting God one moment and freaking out the next. It's just unstable. And Jesus is revealing that all of this instability is because of fear. And then he asks this. How is it? I mean, just say that. How is it? That you have no faith. Yeah, I mean, how, he's saying, how is it? I mean, uh, uh, Thomas brought a word over the past two weeks, a, a king without a quarter, right? Well, sometimes I feel very Christ-like. Because if you were to say, hey, you got a quarter, I'd be like, nah, I don't have a quarter, I'm sorry. But Jesus is saying this, I mean, you could be without a dollar or be without a quarter. I mean, you could be without something like that. But Jesus is, is looking at these guys and saying, how is it that you could not have faith? He's saying something there that I want to pay attention to, and that's that every single person always has faith. Now look at the puzzled looks now. Like, what? I want to give you a passage of Scripture, okay? I mean, just, just bear with me here. I mentioned before we're going to find out what every person has been given. Remember when we were kicking off and we were talking about things we're going to find? That was the second thing. I'd like for you to write down in your notes Romans chapter 12, verse 3. If that's not Romans 12, 3, somebody throw a rock at me. That doesn't sound right. I'll read the verse to you. What do you got, Darlene? Romans 12, 3. Okay. What translation is that? First book of Darlene? NIV. NIV. The nearly inspired version. I got it. It is what we're looking for. What do you have over here? What kind of Bible do you carry? Ooh, New King James. What do you have? For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. There we go. That's it. Bingo. You got it. That's what we're looking for right there. Did you hear those last words? I mean, it wasn't Mike, so I'm going to read what's here. God has allotted to each. That's each person. A measure of faith. God has given to every single person 
a measure of faith. So what I said earlier shouldn't be a, a, an issue or, or it shouldn't be met with any kind of challenge. I mean, all I said was that at any given moment, at any given time, every single person has faith. God's given every single person faith. Now, our understanding of faith is where a lot of our obstacles come from. And some come from some really, uh, you know, uh, maybe it's bad teaching or maybe it's life experience where things just were, were, were not lived out according to the word of God or something like that. But it's easy for us to get off track as it concerns faith. The reality is God's given us all faith. I want to tell you something about faith that, that I personally believe, and I know the word backs it up. It's not a matter of whether or not we have faith. It's what we do with what we have. I mean, listen to how Jesus talks about faith. I mean, he talks about faith and he compares it to a seed. So you could really say this like God's given every single person a seed. What'd you do with yours? I ate it. Uh, what'd you do with yours? Well, I, I, I lost it. What'd you do with yours? It's in my pocket. But it's the person that took that seed, knowing its potential, put it in the right environment, gave it the things that it needed to grow and to thrive. It's that person that actually grew something of any substance with their faith. So when Jesus is looking at these guys, he's saying, hey, listen, all the chaos, all the strife, all the fighting, because you know those guys were blaming each other, right? You're the one that wanted to come out on this boat in the first place. You ever had a family trip that sounded like that, right? I'm not the only one, am I? Honey, sorry. But you know, I mean, fighting and strife and chaos and anger and all of this stuff just erupted just like the waves erupted. And Jesus is saying, hey, all of that is because of fear. How is it that you guys don't have any faith? I mean, what have you done with the seed that God gave you? Now, there's some things that we can do with, with faith. And I mean, earlier this week, my, my son encountered a situation with the word faith. Somebody had, had you know, bestowed a, a statement involving the word faith that was very poetic and very artsy. But it was complicated and it, it seemed to be unfruitful. It, it, it sounded really nice but there was really no substance to it. And so my son took it upon himself to rearrange the letters. And he had to make some of the letters himself, like he needed an N, so he tore the top off an H, you know, and all, all of that. But, but when it got done, it was much shorter. It, it was a lot less artsy, but it had some serious substance. He'd taken all the letters, and he, he had taken what he needed to arrange these words around the word faith. Have and then faith in God. Instead of trying to have some kind of an, an artsy, new agey thought about faith, he just simplified it. Have faith in God. And you know what's really amazing about that simplification? Two-letter word, in. I mean, we get so caught up in having faith that we create burdens for people. Well, you just need to have faith. Well, you just need to have faith. Well, according to what Jesus says, you have faith. It's what do we do with it? And the idea that a nine-year-old can take letters out of the alphabet and spell it out on the wall prophetically, have faith in God, should be inspiring to all of us. It's not a matter of just having faith. It's what we do with it. Where are we putting it? 
Are we putting it in our pocket? Are we losing it? Is it being consumed and lost forever? Or are we putting it where it needs to go? Like he spelled out on the wall, have faith in God. Are we putting our seed of faith in God? I'm going to put my faith in you. It's just really simply, are we going to trust God? So there's a way for us to continue to see faith move and grow as we put our trust in God. We turn to God for His counsel and direction. That's why passages of Scripture like this are true and make sense. Romans 10, 17, it says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That if I can give my time to the Scripture and, and give my mind to the Scripture and my heart to the Scripture, that my faith will be in a place where it can grow and it can thrive. And we're not talking about giving our mind and our heart to the Scripture just for the, the increase of intelligence. We're talking about giving our heart and our mind to the Scripture for the purpose of receiving counsel and direction. To receive those instructions and surrender our lives to live by them. And as we see faith sown into God, we're constantly going to be in a position, constantly in a situation where we'll be required to trust God. Now, it's hard for me to talk about faith without thinking of a specific Bible passage. I want to give this to you and I want to read through it. I want to move through it very quickly. Luke chapter 7. If you're taking notes, you can write down Luke chapter 7. I want to encourage you to read it in your own time. If you have your Bible with you, you can go ahead and turn there. But I'm going to be drawing from Luke chapter 7. And I'm going to paraphrase a bit simply to save some time. And what's going on here is Jesus has been moving and ministering. And there's a man, he's, he's a Roman soldier who has a, a member of his household, a servant, who has been raised up in his house and is like a son to him. He loves this servant. And this isn't just a man in, in, who has decided to chase after Jesus because he has a need. This is a man who has pursued God. The scripture reveals that, that his generosity and his goodness, he, he's funded synagogues and he's supported the Jewish people. This man is, is a believer. He's not just simply saying, well, I've tried this, I tried that, I tried a little acupuncture, we tried these things, we went over here to that shaman, we went over there to that witch doctor, didn't work out, that guy was weird. But Jesus, we're going to give you a shot because we've heard you know, that you've had some good results. But this is a person that has founded his life upon believing that God is who he is and that he does what he does. Do you know when we talk about faith in the scripture, it makes it a piece of the armor of God. Do you recall what piece it is? It's the shield of faith. You know what's cool about a shield? I mean, think about where is the shield? It's out in front. It's out in front. And that shield is not used to be medicinal after being wounded, whether it is to prevent the wounds in the first place. 
Faith is meant to be a lifestyle, not a response. It's how we live and how we function. Just like this man, he had given his life to follow after the instruction. When the word of God told him to protect the people of Israel, he devoted his life to it. When the word of God told him to be generous, he was generous. He lived his life by the word. He took the seed that God gave him and that God has given all of us. And he put it in the word. And he let it grow. And now in his time of need, just like the psalmist would write, God is our refuge and our strength, the very present help in trouble. In his time of trouble, he cried out to Jesus. But he cried out to Jesus through one of his servants. He sent them. He said, go let Jesus know of this situation. Jesus hears about it and says, hey, I'll I'll come to you. I'll come meet with you. And the man in his humble heart, he says some things. I want to read what he says. Beginning in verse 4 here in Luke 7. When they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, He's worthy for you to grant this to him, for he loves our nation. And it was he who built our synagogue. Now Jesus started on his way with them. And when he was not far from the house, the Roman soldier, he sent friends saying, Lord, don't trouble yourself any further. I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. It's for this reason that I don't even consider myself worthy to come to you in person. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority. Can you say authority? That's the big word there. I'm a man placed under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And I say to another, come, and he comes. And when I talk to my servant, I say, do this, and he does it. Now look at verse 9. It says, Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him. And he turned to the crowd. Now you've got to keep in mind, this is the crowd that he's been preaching to. He's been delivering the word of God to this crowd. But in this moment, when he hears the words that this Roman soldier has said, he marvels and he turns to the crowd. And I don't think he just turns and says this. I think he gets their attention first. Hey, everyone, quiet down. I want you to hear something. Quiet down. Quiet down, please, please. You need to understand something. I have been all over this great nation. I have spoken with and ministered to multitudes of God's people. And I need you to hear this. I say to you, Not in all of Israel have I found such great faith. Now when I think about that, it causes me to pause. Because nowhere in any of the statements made by that Roman soldier did he ever talk about faith. All he ever talked about was authority. And in his speech on authority, in his statements on authority, Jesus would take his statements on authority and stand in front of the crowd and say, hey, everybody, up here, eyes up here, listen. Did you hear what he said? I've never seen such great faith. For you and for me, faith isn't about simply believing that something exists or believing that God is able or believing that he's capable. It's about surrendering ourselves and our will to His. It's about coming into that place 
where we understand that all authority is His. It's about surrendering our mouth to Him, our hands to Him, our minds and our hearts to Him, all that we are to Him. I want to offer you a couple of passages of Scripture as we close here. Jesus makes something very clear throughout the Gospels. But I think it's written out very clearly in John chapter 5, verse 19. If you want to write that down in your notes, I would encourage it. John chapter 5, verse 19. Jesus is speaking and he makes this statement. He says, truly, truly, I say to you that the Son, he's referring to himself, can do nothing of himself unless it's something that he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son does also in like manner. What Jesus is saying there is he's revealing to us the faith that he walks in. He's saying, I only do what I'm instructed to do. I follow instructions. As I'm told, I do. That's the life of faith that you and I are called to. It's the reason why our faith grows when exposed to the Word of God because as we expose our faith, that seed to the Word of God, we receive God's counsel and His instruction. And oftentimes we've made faith a burden. We've told people to believe harder and believe more. And some of you have heard what I call the elephant test before, right? How many of you believe that elephants exist, right? You believe in elephants? Yeah. I want you to take a moment. I want you to believe in them harder. I mean, really try. But yet, with good intentions even, we have tortured the church. Telling them to increase their faith, to believe more and believe harder. When it's not about believing, it's about putting your trust in the hands of God. And just like Jesus would reveal his life of faith, I don't do anything without receiving instruction. We see the benefit of that, the result of that. We see the result of that in the works that he performed, in the sermons that he would preach, in the words of wisdom that he would operate in, in the miracles that he would release. We see the fruit of faith in his life in that same call, that same anointing, that same seed has been given to each one of us. I mentioned we're going to find out what Jesus has a monopoly on. I want to give you a passage of scripture right now as we begin to move into a point of ministry. If you have your notes, you can write this down. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Jesus makes a statement that ought to catch our attention. He's conquered the grave. He's stepped out of the tomb. He's fulfilled what God has called him to fulfill. 
And he's on his way to continue to bring the word of God to pass with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit being poured out upon the earth. And he stands and he makes a declaration. One that we ought to make note of. He doesn't stand and declare that all sins have been forgiven. But he stands and he makes this. An absolute statement. Whether it would be regarding sin or any corruption. Whether it would be regarding death or any sickness. He makes an absolute statement. He says all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. When I hear that statement, I come to a place where I, I reconcile my life as a Christian to the life of Jesus. Your life as a Christian to the life of Jesus. That we have a call to function and operate in the anointing of Jesus Christ. I've come to this conclusion. Whether it's revealed by the Roman soldier or whether it's revealed by Jesus. I've come to the conclusion that we'll never have more authority than we're under. That the one who would say, I do nothing on my own initiative, would be the one who's qualified to receive all authority under heaven and earth. And for us, we have the seed inside of us to sow into God, to place into the hand of God, into the word of God, to receive his counsel, his direction, to lead us and guide us in our steps, in our words, in our actions, in our ministry. To be just like Jesus. To say we do what we see the Father doing. We speak what we hear the Father saying. And I believe God for the results of heaven to be just as potent and effective for you as they are for Jesus Christ. I want to ask you to stand to your feet this morning. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.